encourage you to take your Bible and have it out with you and open as we uh, consider a portion of God's Word this morning from 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7, and then this morning we'll just be uh, spending our time in that seventh, uh, seventh verse we've been thinking together uh, about how the uh, gospel uh, transforms the lives uh, of God's people. You remember the Bible tells us that we have been redeemed uh, through the cross from a futile way of life. And so our life in the gospel, when you believe in Jesus Christ, is transformed through the work of his spirit in us. And so Peter's helping us to try to think through what does that, what does that really look like? in a Christian life? What does that look like in, in our relationship to the government? What does it look like in relationship to, to those relations we have in our homes? And so uh, last Lord's Day, we considered the, uh, uh, the word to the wife that comes at the beginning of 1 Peter 3, and uh, this morning we're going to focus on the word uh, to the husband. But reading then from 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 1 to 7, this is uh, the ever-living word of God. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, Uh, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very Precious, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of God. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that as we uh, work our way through this uh, letter of the Apostle Peter to the church, that you have been walking with us by your Spirit to, to help us to understand, to know the truth, but that we would believe the truth, and that uh, we would go forth to live the truth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning both the one who preaches and all of us who hear uh, as you speak to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, A late uh, 19th century novel uh, by the novelist Oscar Wilde has uh, one woman asking another woman, tell me, what is your conception of the ideal husband? To which the other woman responds, ideal husband... There is none. I'm against the whole, const- or the whole institution, she said. Uh, no ideal husband whatsoever. This is late 19th century uh, novel. Well, is that true? Uh, is, there no, uh, is there no ideal uh, husband at all? And in fact, is the institution itself uh, horrible to think of? Well, that's what some people were writing in the late 19th century. The Bible doesn't say that, of course. Uh, We found out that uh, because he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and that that has implications for life in the home. 
And we saw that for the Christian wife, that means understanding that to be set free from sin and having become a servant of God, uh, she desires to be in submission to her husband, humbly following his leadership, submitting herself to his headship under Christ, and recognizing that her life speaks louder than her words. In fact, remember what we just read, living faithfully for Christ, perhaps even in a situation where that husband does not follow Christ, that husband, the Bible says, may be won to Christ, drawn to Christ, led to Christ, even without a word of a Christian wife. Our life, and we took from that all of us, of course, that our life, our conduct, our love, our grace, our joy, respect for others is used by God to draw others to the beauties of the gospel. Um, the Christian life. Second thing we saw last week was that true beauty itself is not a matter of external adornment, but the internal adornment of the hidden person of the heart. Remember that? That whether you're a man or a woman, you have an external adornment and an internal adornment. And what matters most, the Bible says, is an imperishable beauty, that imperishable beauty, undying beauty, that's only found within because everything externally will fade away. And so the concern of a Christian wife on a Lord's Day morning is not, first of all, to give care and attention and devotion to all that others can see, but to give care and attention and devotion to what God sees within and what is very precious in His sight. As we were told last week, a gentle and quiet spirit within. Actually, the kind of spirit the Bible tells us, which was characteristic of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who was completely given over to the pursuit and delight of His Father's will and not his own. So that was a word to wives. But what about husbands? What about men? And what kind of men uh, here in this church should we be praying for who would be uh, Christian husbands according to the word? What kind of husbands must we pray for here in this church? What is a Christian husband's responsibility before God? In other words, what does the fact uh, that a Christian husband also looks to the death of Christ on the cross and the salvation that's ours in Jesus, knowing that he too is to die to sin and to live to righteousness, what does that look like for him in the home? Well, as we noted last week, our culture is in a mess when it comes to understanding what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man, what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a young man, and what it means to be a young woman. Just this past week, read this article, Sexual identity, confusion, and the body-mutilating procedures that are used to treat this disorder have increased dramatically. The first indication is the rise in K-12 students identifying as the opposite sex, transgender, genderqueer, non-binary, or some other neologism or new word that gender ideologues create to describe themselves. A recent report announced trans-identifying students increased 991% over two years in a wealthy D.C. suburb. The outlet reported that Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland showed a huge uptick in children who filled out the MCPS form. Uh, it's called the Intake Form, Supporting Student Gender Identity. So if you sign this form, you fill it out, you place it on file with the district. When a student talks with a school employee about his or her sexual identity confusion and a plan for affirming a new gender identity. 991% increase in two years. Second news story illustrates the surge is from the Federalist. It's entitled, uh, In the Genital Mutilation Market, Business is Booming. The article links to a report about growing transgender surgery revenue. 
The report notes the rise in young people with sexual identity confusion, the increase in surgeries that attempt to make people look like the opposite sex. The U.S. sex reassignment surgery market size was valued at $1.9 billion in 2021. It's expected to expand uh, in the year 2030 to $5 billion. And so this confusion about man, woman, husband, wife is no laughing matter. Uh, it is big business in our country, and it is, uh, it is destructive. Well, aren't you, glad that the, aren't you glad that the Lord speaks? Aren't you glad that we have uh, the Scripture? Because the Lord has given us His Word, and His Word we confess. After all, it's a Reformation Day weekend that we confess that His Word is our ultimate standard for faith and life. Sola Scriptura, I mean, Scripture alone is the ultimate standard. So this is where we go to find the answers to life's most difficult questions. It's where we go to find the answer to life's most basic questions as well. And so in light of that, um, who am I to be uh, as a Christian husband? What is to be my focus as a man? Well, here's where we begin. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 3. Likewise, uh, likewise, husbands. Uh, you got to stop right there. Likewise, husbands. You might have been thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, why do, uh, why do Christian wives get six verses and uh, Christian husbands only get one? Uh, is, there, is there somehow, you know, do, do Christian wives need more biblical instruction than men? No. Uh, you will notice that the Apostle Peter has been kind of uh, building uh, argument here all along the way. And so when he says likewise, he means in the same way. Husbands, just like at verse 1 of chapter 3, he said, likewise, or in the same way, wives. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, uh, in the same way uh, as, as what? Well, you go all the way back to the beginning of uh, uh, the section that starts with, uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Second, or 1 Peter 2, 13, 15 says, for this is the will of God that by doing, so this is instruction for all believers, For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so that's that's where Peter, that's that's for everybody. And then, uh, verse 18, he applied it to servants. Then, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, likewise, wives, this is how you... Apply the gospel of being a servant of God in the home. And likewise, husbands, verse 7, this is how you apply the gospel in the home. And so this call to action, this call to obedience on the part of the Christian husband is rooted in the Christian gospel. Uh, Never, ever lose sight of that. Just like verse 8 is going to say, finally, all of you, right? Not husband, wife, but all of you. All of this goes back to the gospel. Right, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. How do you do that? Now, that's important that this is being addressed to, to Christians because the Bible, remember here, is not giving some kind of generic teaching on how to have a happy home. This is not what this passage is about. The Bible is not saying that any husband and wife, if you give them 1 Peter 3, they just need to follow these precepts and they will have joyful uh, marital bliss. Now, the Bible is saying this is, this is only yours uh, in Christ Jesus. This is only yours uh, in Christ, not apart from Christ. Remember, he's speaking to those who have known the new birth. 
He's speaking to those who have the imperishable seed of the Word of God planted in them. Remember, Peter's speaking to, as he talked in chapter 2, he's ta- or chapter, chapter 1, he's speaking to those who are living stones, who have come to the living stone, Jesus Christ. They know they're holy, they're chosen, they're royal, they're, they're the precious possession of God. They crave the Word like an infant craves its mother's milk. Uh, and so he's speaking to those who know that they're supposed to shine like stars in the darkness of this present world. So, likewise, then, husbands. Three points this morning uh, to Christian husbands. Consider your wife, honor your wife, and cherish your wife. First of all, consider your wife. Likewise, Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. could be translated this way. Be considerate uh, as you live with your wives. Or this way, dwell with them uh, according to knowledge. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Dwell with them according to knowledge. In an understanding way. Being considerate, he says, of your wife. So a husband is to consider his wife, to know his wife, to understand his wife. Now, how will that happen? Well, he has to study his wife, just like knowing anything else. To be considerate of his wife, he needs to know what encourages her and what discourages her. And he'll not know anything uh, if he does not listen to her at all. There's an amusing uh, YouTube clip out there somewhere, perhaps you've seen it, regarding how husbands have trouble considering their wives. So this video clip opens with a shot of a husband sitting on the couch, uh, listening to his wife describe how she's not been feeling well, and she has this pain in her head. And you can see in the video how the husband is he's having trouble listening, he wants to say something, and he starts to say something, but the wife says, I just need you to listen to me. And the husband's having a hard time. He desperately wants to fix the problem by pointing out something to his wife. And she continues to insist she just wants him to listen and not have the answer uh, right away. And so he's having a terrible time as she continues to speak of how she can't really explain where this pain in her head is coming from. And uh, she wants him to understand. Until finally he says, "But, but, um, but you have a nail in your head. And as the camera pans back, as the wife continues to insist that all she wants from her husband is for him to listen to her, not right away jump to answering her, the camera indeed reveals that she actually has a nail sticking in the middle of her forehead. Now, perhaps only husbands find that amusing. That might be one of the differences between, I don't know. Yeah? Okay. Well, anyway, um, I'm not sure. The point is, uh, the Bible says a Christian husband considers his wife, listens to his wife, dwells together, lives together with his wife in an understanding way that is according to knowledge. Yes, know your wife, but also know the scripture. Live with your wife in an understanding way according to knowledge. Well, according to knowledge, what the Bible says, how you're to live with your wife. And what does the scripture actually say? Well, Colossians 3.19 says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he, that Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might, that's the church, be holy and without blemish. And then here's these words, again, in the same way. That is, also a husband washing their wife with the word, so she might be without spot or wrinkle. Remember, not talking here about external adornment, We're talking about internal spots, 
internal wrinkles in the same way the husband washes his wife with God's Word so that every spiritual spot and spiritual wrinkle within might be made beautiful in the sight of God. And Ephesians says, Husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but here's the words, nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Dwell together uh, with your wife according to knowledge, knowing her and knowing the Word of God and what it says about your role as a husband. Consider your wife in the light of Scripture. Consider your wife in the light of your calling to love her and nourish her and give yourself up for her. Live with her understanding that God sets the standard and not the world. Now, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I think, as you read through this passage in Peter, the first six verses, you might have said to yourself, well, how is it possible uh, for a Christian wife to submit uh, in love to a Christian husband? And the Bible would ask you instead, what wife would not submit to a man who is committed to giving himself up for her as Christ does the church? You see, that's the question we need to ask. Husbands, consider your wife just as Christ considers the church. Secondly, Peter says, honor your wife, Christian husband. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I'm not sure there is a more countercultural thing uh, that Peter uh, would say to 21st century America uh, than this. And I'm glad I don't make up the Bible. And I'm glad the Bible is eternal in the heavens and that this same word has come through the centuries to every man and woman and child and little girl and little boy uh, for many, many years. Excuse me? The weaker vessel? Vessel here means exactly that, a vessel or, or jar. Often scripture, you might know, will speak of the father as the potter, were the clay or the work of his hands. This Bible speaks about Christians as vessels of mercy. That is, says Paul, for instance, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're jars, we're vessels of clay. And so this is a common image. Believers are vessels of the Holy Spirit, also called temples of the Holy Spirit. The woman, uh, says Peter, is the weaker vessel. Now, not weaker spiritually, Because the very next line says to the husband, they are heirs with you of the grace of life, or equal shares with you in the grace of life. Galatians 3.27 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says when it comes to salvation in Christ and putting on Christ, No distinctions to be made of lesser, greater, inferior, superior, weaker, stronger. You're either in Christ, according to the Bible, or you're outside of Christ. You've either put on Christ, uh, or you have not put on Christ. You're either a born-again, blood-bought believer, fully united to Jesus Christ, your head, through faith, or you're outside of Christ. And so, as one has put it, uh, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, There is no being weaker spiritually. We're one in Christ. But what Peter is speaking of here is the obvious, worldwide, biological, and physiological distinction rooted in God's good creation 
between male and female. Not head for head and individual for individual, maybe, but as a general truth, the body of the woman, bone structure, muscle mass, is weaker in comparison to her husband. And our present world and culture here in America hates this verse. That would not surprise Peter. In our culture, that wants to tell us there is no distinction between male and female, though God said, I've created them male and female. In a culture that wants to say that the roles of husband and wife are simply humanly agreed upon constructs that we force upon men and women, though God has clearly defined roles laid out in Scripture. Friends, in a culture that wants women to aspire to be men, and men to aspire to be women, in a culture where men are encouraged to race 100 meters alongside a woman and hurl a, a, a discus alongside of women and use a bathroom alongside of women, and in a culture where men and women are encouraged to believe that we can exchange body parts uh, like human potato heads, Remove one part, add another, in defiance of God's creation of us as male and female, as if there were no significant God-given, fundamental, essential, and necessary differences at all. Oh boy, this passage smacks our culture in the face. We don't want to hurt anybody. (laughs) But God's truth, friends, uh, challenges our culture. But here's the thing. Notice, that's interesting. Notice that according to the Bible, the fact that the woman is the weaker vessel is not to offend us. Did you catch what the Bible says? Showing honor. Oh boy. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Husband's honor your wife, but this applies, of course, to all men in relation to every woman, as far as what Peter is saying here. Now, look back with me just a second. 1 Peter 2, verse 16 7. You've heard this word honor before. You say, wait a minute, hasn't Peter told us about honoring someone before? Oh, oh he has. He has. So you look back at chapter 2, verse 16, it goes like this Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. It's our fundamental identity in Christ. Honor, same word, everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And then honor the emperor. Oh boy. The Christian husband, says Peter likewise, honors his wife. There's good reason here for a Christian husband to see his wife as the the empress he is to honor. Now, what would that Christian marriage look like, I imagine, if if the husband were to honor his wife as one would, let's say, as Peter says earlier, honor the emperor of a kingdom? What does that look like, I wonder? Oh, I wonder, would would you open a door for an empress? I think you should. Um, to honor someone. 
Uh, would you maybe stand in their presence? Would you, uh, or, or would you order an empress around? Hmm. How do you treat an empress? Well, your majesty. Um, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like to honor your wife. There's no room for abuse of an emperor in word or deed. Honor does not abuse or tear down or belittle or shout and yell or rant and rave or denigrate, disparage, or humiliate. To honor is at the very least uh, to lift up. To honor does not mean to control, manipulate, domineer, or use for your own ends. To honor here means to, to recognize someone's worth and dignity and value and then to protect and defend that honor. You see why the Bible is hated by some. As Paul puts it in Ephesians, whereas the wife is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ, the husband is to give himself up for his wife. Now that is to honor your wife, her dignity, her value, as Christ gave himself up for the church. The Bible says Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Christian husbands, we need to hear this. Your wife does not exist to serve you, husband. You exist to serve her and lay down your life for her. She is to be, Christian husband, your priority, thinking of her more highly than yourself. Not my needs first, her needs first. Not my show first, that I want to watch, her first. Not my meal first. Not my wants and desires first. Honoring your wife means putting your wife above yourself. Honoring your wife, of course, means praising your wife. I mean, uh, uh, you might remember, of course, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, of course, is known as the, the, uh, well, you're known as a Proverbs 31 woman. Yes, that's true. But did you know that there's a Proverbs 31 man who often gets forgotten? It goes like this. Speaking of the wife... She looks well to the ways of her household, Proverbs 31, 27, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And then the Bible says this, her husband also, and he praises her. This is how he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but the Christian husband says to the Christian wife, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is, the Bible says, is to be praised. So a Christian husband doesn't make jokes about his wife. He doesn't cut her down and cut her up to his friends at work or the office or at the ball game or online. The Bible says he sings her praises. No one's like her. No one's like her. So thankful for her. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So God's God's gift to the Christian husband. So consider your wife, honor your wife, and lastly, cherish your wife. Likewise, says Peter, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Did you know 
that according to the Bible, your relationship to God can be hindered? Yes. Did you know that there could be obstacles to your your prayer life, your enjoyment of worship, your enjoyment of Christian fellowship? Mm -hmm. Did you know that uh, uh, there can be times where um, it's going to be very hard for you to even open the Bible and want to read the Bible at all? Yeah, the Bible says that can happen. You know, there's things uh, that you can do in your life, a way to live in your life that is positively harmful to your walk with God. And the Bible says yes for all of us. Psalm 66, for instance, says this. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God. I'll tell you what He's done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart... The Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. So, this is the psalmist saying, Oh, I'm so thankful to the Lord. Come in here, people of God, what the Lord has done for me. He's answered my prayers. But you know what, folks? If I had cherished sin in my heart, it wouldn't go anywhere. He wouldn't listen. Oh, yes, he's sovereign. He certainly hears me speaking. He sees my mouth going, but he does not receive into his presence my prayer. It's not coming to him through the blood of Christ. It's not coming to him through faith. I might throw up a prayer or something, but I'm living, the Bible says, as if Christ hadn't died for me at all. And it will hinder your prayer. This is what the Apostle Peter is saying, Uh, because sometimes a husband might love his sin more than he loves God. He doesn't want to consider his wife. He doesn't want to honor his wife. He doesn't want to cherish his wife. Instead, uh, he is cherishing his sin, and his uh, life with the Lord is in a shambles. Because he's forgotten the cross, he's forgotten he's been cleansed, and that he can only come to the Father through Jesus And for a Christian husband, says Peter, your prayers may be then hindered. Now, why does, ever ask yourself the question, why does Peter speak to the husband about hindered prayer? Because as Paul says in Ephesians, it is the husband who is the spiritual head of his wife. Ephesians 5 tells us that it is the husband who is to, has the responsibility to wash his wife with the water of the word, even as the Lord Jesus, through the, the means of grace, through the scripture, washes us as the church. And that's the calling of the Christian husband. It is not the wife who has the primary calling to wash her husband with the word. Sure, any anytime she brings the yes, his, the husband will be washed through her to some extent, but it is not her calling to lead. The husband is to lead in prayer. The husband is to lead. The husband is to establish a pattern of family worship and family prayer. The husband is to set the example. And so the husband's prayers are in view here. The husband needs to guard and protect uh, the spiritual life of his family. Where did feminism come from? Why did it arise? Because you had a generation of men uh, neglecting their God-given calling and abdicating responsibility in home and church. In this country, there could be an obstacle, Christian husband, in your relationship to God right now. What is it? Peter says it's your relationship to your wife. 
It's how you treat your wife. Uh, More specifically, your failure, says Peter, to live out who you are in Christ as a Christian husband with respect to how you consider and honor and cherish your wife. Now, remember, the Bible tells us that Peter himself was married. We read about his mother-in-law being healed, and the Apostle Paul makes reference to this in 1 Corinthians 7 of Peter's wife. I wonder if Peter here is, is speaking from experience, perhaps. Had he known this hindrance in his own life, where he had, instead of cherishing his wife, cherished sin. And it affected his relationship to God. You've heard the demand posed by the thief, your money or your life. Well, for Peter, the question for the Christian husband is this, which do you cherish more, your sin or your wife? For many a husband, this is indeed the question. The answer to this question determines the internet history on a husband's computer. Your sin or your wife? The answer to this question uh, determines the movies watched in a hotel room when alone on a business trip. Your sin or your wife? The answer to this question determines whether you have Christian brothers in your life to hold you accountable to God. The answer to this question determines whether you allow yourself as a Christian husband to be alone with a a single woman who's not your wife. Your sin or your wife. Well, how do you cherish your wife? Recognize this, says Peter. This will help you. That woman, that wife, he says, is an heir with you of the grace of life. Now, the translation says, you share together in the grace of God which gives you life. Consider her, honor her, cherish her. Why? Fellow heir of the grace of life. For all that she is, a Christian wife, maybe a wonderful helpmeet, maybe a great cook, maybe the mother of your children, uh, if you have children, the one who keeps you as a Christian husband from falling apart, The one who encourages you, gently corrects you, is patient with you, laughs with you, reminds you where to turn off the freeway, you know, graciously reminds you to pick up your laundry for the hundredth time, pretends to enjoy watching that game of sports with you to support you, forgives you again and again and again and again and again. For all the many reasons you ought, says Peter, as a Christian husband, to consider her and honor her and love her and protect her and spiritually lead her and praise her, none is greater than this. She shares with you the inheritance of the saints, the grace of life itself, the life that comes to us in Christ by the grace and mercy of God. The mercy of a gift of life through faith in Jesus, a life that will never fade and never pass, never die. She, like you, is an equal sharer in grace. She, like you, if you believe, will live forever with the Lord, and believers will spend eternity with each other. So this is how your marriage, if you're married, has eternal ramifications. That is, God is using you as a husband and a wife to prepare your husband and wife for eternity with the Lord. Husband, your wife, is an eternal being, says Peter. She is headed for glory. Wrote C.S. Lewis in that marvelous essay, The Weight of Glory, There Are No Ordinary People. You have never talked to a mere mortal 
Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life, he says, is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, whom we marry, whom we snub and exploit, says Lewis. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Peter's saying, boy, that should change, husband, how you look at your, your, <clears throat> how you look at your wife. It should change how we, how we look at each other. Did you know that as a pastor, I don't look at a fly or an ant the way I look at you gathered here for worship today? I don't look at a dog or a cat the way I look at you gathered here for worship today. You and I will live forever. Said C.S. Lewis, either immortal horror in the pains of hell, right, or everlasting splendor. But we will live forever. That changes how I look at you as a pastor. And if we don't look at each other like ants and flies and cats and dogs, but as immortals, those who will never die, how much more so when we look at our spouse, our wife, do we see an heir with us of the grace of life? And if a fellow heir of grace, says Peter, we will cherish her, we will hold her dear, precious in our sight, more precious than any sin that keeps on clinging to us. We'll be gracious to her as we ourselves have received grace. We're fellow heirs of the grace of life. I've received grace as a husband. I give grace to my wife. So Christian husbands, consider your wife, honor your wife, cherish your wife. And if you're a young man today desiring to be married, this is the kind of husband God would have you to be. And if you are an unmarried man or widower, these are the kind of men we need to encourage in our fellowship. And if you're a young woman, widow, or married today, is this not reason to give thanks to God in Christ, who's given us such a word and such a clear instruction for the men whom we're married to, may one day marry, or whom we desire to see in the family of God? Don't you want to see Christian husbands at Sovereign Grace? Uh, Considering their wife, honoring their wife, cherishing their wife. They can only do that, says Peter, in Christ. Can't have such a marriage ever, ever, unless first you haven't come to the Savior. Now, in this way, says Peter, remember how, in this way, if this is your conviction, you say, yes, this is the word of God. I know it's not what the culture says, but it is what God says. And it is his will for my life, and I want to follow in his way. In this way, says Peter, and as we've been called, despite a hostile culture, no matter what the world may say about men and women, husband, wife, we will keep, he says, our conduct, our living among the Gentiles honorable. That is, we will keep on faithfully following the Lord. So that when, says Peter, they speak against you as evildoers, you mean to tell me that there is only male and female? Yes, that when they speak against you as an evildoer, you see, this will be undoubted, says Peter. They will see your good deeds. They will see how you live, you see. 
how you love one another, how you submit to the Lord Jesus, they will see it and glorify God on the day of visitation. That others, you see, might be one without a word, that our prayers may not be hindered, and that our glorious God would receive all the praise. Well, here then is a beautiful marriage. A wife who sweetly submits to her husband, winning him to Christ without a word, with the imperishable beauty of a a gentle and quiet spirit, the Christ-like adornment within. And here's a Christian husband dwelling in love and understanding, consideration for his wife, honoring her as one would honor the empress herself, and cherishing her as one who will live forever. And in Christ, a sharer in the grace of life. Because, friends, after all, the Bible says your marriage is not really about you at all. But it's about the world seeing something of Jesus and his self-sacrificial giving of himself over to death for the church as it's seen in the love of a Christian husband for his wife and uh, the love of the church in in, in submitting humbly, gently uh, to the leadership of Jesus Christ, even as a Christian wife humbly, gently demonstrates love and submission to her Christian husband. A word to wives, a word to husbands, and next week, says the Apostle, uh, a word to all. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, how we thank you for your word. We, we need wisdom. Lord, whatever age we live in, whatever century, whatever country, whatever nation we're a part of, how we thank you that you tell us in the scripture that your word is eternal in the heavens. It endures forever long after we come and go. Nations will rise and fall. Kingdoms will rise and fall. But the word of our Lord, endures forever. Help us, Lord, then as your people, by the work of your Holy Spirit to ourselves, knowing that we have been set free from sin in order that we might be servants of God in this world and that they might see something of Jesus Christ in us, wives, husbands, members of your church. Lord, that what matters most to us is to see you glorified in the face of Jesus Christ our Savior, that we together are heirs of the grace of life. May the world see it, and may you be glorified. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.